Well, good morning, everybody. Isn't this rain brilliant? And it's, let's hope that just a little bit down would be nice. Let's hope that it's uh, nice and cooling for the bike riders as well. That's actually quite nice sometimes when you're cycling to get a bit of rain. So, um, brilliant. So my name is Stuart, and um, it is my privilege and pleasure to be curate here in Holy Trinity Claygate. Um, but I'm still working as a full-time um, product manager for a software company in Richmond, upon Thames. And I've now been working for that company for about two years. Um, but when I was first interviewed for that role, I made the decision that I was going to be really open about, at that point, I was in training to be a curate. And I made the decision I was going to be very open and frank about that as I started work. And their reaction to this completely shocked me. From the start, I told the recruiter about the course I was following, and she said, and I quote, you're training to be a vicar? That's so cool. Not the reaction I was expecting. Other senior interviewers uh, thought that it was really interesting and were genuinely asking questions about it. In the new starter section of the weekly company newsletter, I wrote about my family, the companies I'd worked for, and my ordination training. And since then, I've had so many people come up to me and want to talk about my training, and now me being a curate. I think it's pretty weird to some people. <laughs> but this has also led to me forming a, a prayer group at work, which is awesome. And if any of you would like to know anything about that, please do have a chat with me afterwards. Uh, one time I went to lunch with one chap um, at his request, and he asked if I minded me talking about my faith. I thought I'd better let him continue. Um, so he asked me that, as a mathematician, how did I resolve being a scientist alongside having a faith? And this led to a fantastic discussion. Um, because I think the beauty of God is revealed through science. I think science programs and things like um, you know, Blue Planet is actually a worship program because it shows how amazing God is and creative in his creation. Um, and I don't think that science and faith is at, at, um, uh, this at all. I think it actually can come together in the mind of a believer. And he was shocked because he'd never heard this. He thought that science and faith had to be contradictory. So what I'm concluding through many of my conversations with both people of uh, Christian faith at work, but also people of other faiths and people of no faith, is that there's actually a real hunger for spirituality and a real desire to find purpose in life. And although they don't always express it this way, there's a desire to connect to something super, something holy, something that we call God. This is backed up by a recent survey where, actually, get this, 85% of people pray. Okay? That number shocked me. Um, so with so many people praying, it seems right to spend some time looking at prayer. And um, that's exactly what we're going to do over this summer, over the next few weeks, up to September. We will each week be looking at prayer by using the Lord's Prayer as a framework so next week, we'll be looking at the first line, our Father in heaven. Then the next Sunday, your kingdom come. Then give us our daily bread, followed by forgive us our trespasses. And finally, 
lead and deliver us. And this is the first of that series, so I get the intro. And uh, for that, we're going to have an overview of the whole prayer, but we're also going to see what that prayer can teach us about why we pray. Um, Now, one of the things that is great over the summer is also to read a book. And at the start of this series, there is a great book out there on uh, on the desk, and it's Tim Keller's book on prayer. If you've never read a book by Tim Keller, he's an awesome teacher, great theologian, but he's completely not dry. This is interspersed with his own experience and his heart and the griefs in his life and and the joys in his life through prayer. So it's a really good read. Can I recommend that book on prayer? Um, That's fantastic. And to help us this morning, we're obviously going to look at the Lord's Prayer, as you've just heard Tim read. And um, it might help if you have got your Bibles open still. Uh, That's Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13, page 970. Whoops. In these four verses in our reading today, Matthew records for us basically a training session on prayer. This is a training session by Jesus himself, so I think we should probably pay attention to it. Jesus explicitly tells us how we should pray. But, it is, but is this the same as why we should pray? Well, I think actually behind each of these phrases we have in the Lord's Prayer, there's a why as well as a how. And we will uh, be looking at that as we go through. So these four verses from Matthew are now known as the Lord's Prayer because, as I've just said, Jesus taught us how to pray. And so this is known as the Lord's Prayer, Jesus' Prayer. And it's a model for prayer. And now this prayer is often used as we pray together here in church, or maybe when you went to school, you maybe said the Lord's Prayer in certain schools. Um, But as Jesus says in chapter 6, verse 6, this is also a model for personal prayer, meaning this can be a framework of how we should approach prayer, approach God in prayer. And uh, the Bible actually teaches us that prayer can be two things. It can be personal prayer, our one-to-one time with God. Isn't that awesome? And then also our time when we come together and we commune with God together, coming together and talking with God of our fears and our hopes and our dreams. So the Lord's Prayer is a way of reminding each of us how we should approach God, guiding us in clear steps, learning the Lord's Prayer word from word, and just saying it is not Jesus' intention. His intention is that this prayer should comfort, challenge, and encourage us with a communion, a conversation with the living God. So in verse 9, Jesus starts to teach us by saying, this then is how you should pray. The first thing to note is Jesus assumes that we will pray. This doesn't say if you pray, it's when you pray, this is how to pray. Um, And we will see in verse 11 that Jesus intends for this to be at least daily as we pray for our daily bread. So uh, at least daily. Now I love saying the Lord's Prayer together in church and later on in our service. uh, We will be doing that exactly together. And the Lord's Prayer is a prayer that people know best probably out of all prayers and would have in my day have been rattled through at about 100 miles an hour. The danger with familiarity is, though, 
that we might stop thinking of exactly what we're saying. So today and over the next six weeks, we're going to take a little bit longer to look at exactly what these words mean and what we can learn from them. So Jesus' instruction starts by showing us how we should begin our prayers. We should begin with our Father. Jesus, right from the start, has us addressing God as our Father. Jesus is inviting us to refer to God as our Father. Isn't that amazing? And elsewhere we see Jesus saying that we should refer to God as Abba, which is the Aramaic word for Daddy. It it, it just bowls me over. Not just Father, but the very, very familiar, loving, childlike word, Daddy. Now, my children are now 24 and 22, and actually, very rarely do they call me Daddy now. Actually, they only do when they're taking the mick out of me, when I say something stupid, and they say, oh, Daddy. But I actually love to hear them call me Daddy or Dad. It's so great that I'm known as their dad. By Jesus inviting us to use the word Daddy about God, he's saying God sees us as his precious sons and daughters. And we can, as children, with the best father there possibly can be, come to him with intimacy, knowing that we are so loved. And this, too, is the first answer to why we should pray. Because he's our loving Heavenly Father, our Daddy. And why wouldn't we, as God's children, want to come to our loving Dad, pouring out to him our heart? And why wouldn't a loving Dad long for his children to come to him? with this level of intimacy. So power is a, a prayer is an amazing gift, amazing powerful gift of a two-way conversation with the sovereign God of the universe who is also the most gracious, loving, heavenly Father who gives us this gift of prayer when we can at any time turn to him. So this gift of prayer is for believers, a prayer from us to the adopted, us who are the adopted sons and daughters of him, of the living God, to our wonderful father. So yes, he is daddy. But then Jesus also reminds us who God is. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed. He is holy, truly holy. He is different to us. He is pure and we are not. He is holy and we are sinful. He, unlike us, is totally untainted by sin. Starting our prayer, recognizing who God is, our Father, and also completely holy, hallowed be your name. Recognizing that in our prayers, in our prayers we should start by acknowledging who we are in conversation with. Again, why should we pray? Well, because we get to commune with the infinite, all-powerful, all-holy, all-loving God. So then Jesus instructs us to acknowledge to God, your kingdom come. And for us to express our desire that one day, as we're reminded in Revelation, he will wipe every tear from our eyes and death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. There is this kingdom to come that is being worked out by God's plan. That day will come. And as we pray this, we are acknowledging that this kingdom, his kingdom will come. Whatever we have burdening us right now, 
we are placing it in the context of the sure outcome that our holy Father's kingdom will come and everything will be put right one day. So with that start point of who God is and this end point of that the kingdom will come, this sets the context for our prayers. This can, of course, feel daunting. These are things of, you know, enormity, you know. Um, How can God, who is involved in the universe and the running of the universe and the running of all time, be interested in me and my, my little stuff that goes on in my life? Well, actually, the answer is amazing. God is infinitely caring and loving about every single thing we do, every second of our day, every little action, everything we think is little, he thinks is big. He has infinite focus, infinite power. God never gets tired. He's never not interested. Psalm 8 says that he places the stars in the sky with his fingers. And the word in Hebrew there is his little fingers. There's another galaxy. There's another galaxy. This is how God, how big and powerful he is. And yet, just a few verses beyond our passage today from Matthew, he also cares for every single bird on this planet. You know, however little we think they are. So he is always there. He always cares for the universe and every one of us. Jesus then asks us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done right now. So this brings us back to the present. That yes, God's kingdom will come, but our desire, God's will for us, is that we will for him, that this kingdom will be already being made right now here. Well, something I find really helpful in praying this, this prayer is actually to be more specific than the whole world. God can think about the whole world, but I find it tough. So it's perfectly fine, and I think it's quite useful to pray for something very particular. So we might pray, your will be done in Claygate, or your will be done in North Korea, or your will be done in this office, or in this school, or in this home, on earth as it is in heaven. Be very specific. It's just a framework, and we should put our own prayers into the Lord's Prayer. So again, why pray? Because God longs for us to bring to him our heart for his will to be done in very particular situations. So in verse 11, Jesus then goes on with that context, with that mindset of who God is. Then Jesus says that it's good to ask, give us today our daily prayer, our daily bread, sorry. Give us today our daily bread. Having set the right start, Jesus then, our wonderful Savior and friend, invites us to bring our personal needs to him. Jesus recognizes that we have needs, and the Father cares about these, and he wants us to bring them to him in very real, practical ways. Now, for so many people around the world, this can be praying for their actual daily bread, their next meal, or bringing to God their worries over how they're going to feed their hungry children. For others, maybe like us in Surrey, this isn't a problem we have. Our Father has already provided for us in heaps. So the first thing we should possibly recognize here is that if we already have what we need, then God and God alone has already provided it for us. 
He's already answered this prayer. But it's so easy for us to think that actually we've achieved this by our own strengths and our own skills, by filling the bread bin with bread. But of course, as Christians, we recognize that he gave us these skills in the first place. So when we're blessed with not having to worry about money for basic living, let's not forget that there is even more reason to thank God. The other way that we can engage, actually, in this part of the Lord's Prayer is by praying that we can be used to answer this prayer for other people. Maybe we can pray, Lord, how can the assets you've already blessed me with be be passed on to bless others? How should we give our money, our time, and our skills to show God's love for others? This could be in giving money or volunteering to work at local charities or opening up our homes in spirit of hospitality. So now we get to verse... I told you this would be a whistle stop. (laughs) So now we get to verse 12. Forgive us our debts. And here, debts means sins. That's often how we say it in our Lord's Prayer. But in the Bible, it said debts, as in this modern translation. So far, Jesus could have actually prayed the Lord's Prayer for himself, However, with this line, forgive us our debts, we get to the line that Jesus is the only one who ever does not need to say that line. That being, forgive us our sins. As Jesus was perfect and without sin, and yet by contrast, we know all too well, and as we are reminded in Romans, that we have all fallen and sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we are sinful and he isn't. We need his forgiveness. He needs no forgiveness. He is the lamb without blemish. The only sacrifice that was good enough to pay for the price for all of our sin, once and for all on that cross. All our sin, past, present, and future. Once we are saved, we are saved forever. There's a beautiful passage in John chapter 10 where Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So, why as Christians do we need to pray for forgiveness? I'm sure those who are here with faith will acknowledge that unfortunately, still sin is in our lives. We are not the finished article. We can be sure of our salvation, yes but we are still work in progress. And if you are anything like me, this journey towards holiness has its fair share of setbacks. Setbacks that lessen our relationship with him, which is why we have confession every Sunday. But as we've just heard from Jesus, no one will snatch us out of his hand. And so instead of seeking forgiveness for salvation, when we say these words, We seek forgiveness because we have grieved him. We have sinned against him. We seek forgiveness because of our love for him so that we can sit at his feet, reconciled with him, with nothing coming in between us. Another wonderful reason why we should pray. But this verse 12 actually comes in two parts. The first part we just looked at, forgive us our debts. The second is, is to do with how we forgive other people. 
here Jesus deals with the other side of the coin. What happens when we are sinned against? Jesus goes on to say, as we have forgiven our debtors. Now this is a a line that can cause a lot of confusion, so let's just look at that. Here the expectation is clear. Jesus' expectation is, yes, you are forgiven, and you will be again, but I expect you to forgive others who have wronged you. Now let's be clear here, because I got this completely wrong as a young Christian. I was really troubled that um, actually I read this verse in the wrong way. Namely, that if we don't forgive everybody, then in return, God won't forgive us. And that's not the God we, hear, we read about in the rest of the Bible. So this scared me. Who hadn't I forgiven? How could I possibly know everybody I needed to forgive? I got it the wrong way around. Because this is definitely not what Jesus is saying. We are forgiven once and for all. We saw this in the earlier verses from John. Actually, what Jesus is saying here is a huge challenge to us. As the second part of this verse, for we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus is asking us to make a promise to forgive. Jesus is saying, yes, you are forgiven. That is good, but don't stop there. I want the love that flows into you to flow on to others. This should be our natural response to being loved by him, by being forgiven by him, How can we not be changed and want forgiveness for other people that are in our lives? So why should we pray? To remind ourselves to, through gratitude, love to forgive others just as we have been forgiven. Which leads on to our final phrase in verse 13. And lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. In this last line, Jesus asks us to recognize that we are weak, and that without his help, we will find ourselves succumbing to temptation. Our natural propensity is to slip back into our old ways of behaving, relying on old modes of comfort or coping strategies, slipping back into not trusting God and relying on ourselves. The only way to resist this is by walking close with God and turning to him and seeking him Again, why pray this way? We do this to seek his help, that we can grow ever more like him, seeking to follow him more closely each day. So here in these few short verses, we have a model of prayer for life. And as we've seen, why prayer is also important. So I look forward to the next six weeks where other people will open up each line and explore them more fully. So in a moment... When Julian comes and prays, we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. When we do, let us remember these points. That we recognize God loves us like the most wonderful daddy there could possibly be. That he is holy and all-powerful and all-loving. Whose kingdom will come, where all tears will be wiped away and all wrongs made right. And that we pray to a God who cares about our daily needs and listens. And he wants nothing to come between us and him. So he longs for us to seek forgiveness. And then he also wants us to respond by showing his love for others in our forgiving other people. And for us to acknowledge that we are weak and we need him and we want protection from temptation. This is such a special prayer 
a prayer that can teach us so much about our private prayer and also by our prayer together. In a moment, we'll be saying this prayer together, and I look forward to praying with you, brothers and sisters. Amen.